The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Before we meet today's guest, let me tell you about another podcast I host called Conversations on the Edge. Conversations on the Edge introduces you to a motley crew of thinkers with offbeat and bold perspectives on spirituality, community, and culture. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. If you enjoy Essential Conversations, you will love Conversations on the Edge just as much. Our guest today, Dr. Christian Conte, is a leading mental health authority in the field of anger and emotional management, who specializes in working with people convicted of violent crimes. A familiar figure on TV and radio, he's the author of several books. His newest book is Walking Through Anger, a new design for confronting conflict in an emotionally charged world. You can read an interview with Dr. Conte, conducted by Steve Kiesling in the current issue, November-December issue, of Spirituality and Health magazine. Christian Conte, welcome to Essential Conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It is our pleasure. I, I want to jump right to what I think is the heart of the book, which is what you call yield theory. And I know you've spent your adult life developing this thing. And before we do anything else, introduce us to the theory. Yes. So I call it yield theory because it really is centered on meeting other people where they are, really leading with compassion, humility, and genuine curiosity. The whole core of it is about getting around people's defensiveness. Look, we all have things we wanna say, we wanna communicate, and unfortunately, a lot of times we talk to people and they're defensive, they're angry, they're ready to you know, lash out of defending their position. And the reality is if we want to communicate in effective ways, we have to get around that defensiveness. And honestly, that's what yield theory is all about. It's about meeting people where they are, leading with compassion, shining conscious education, but doing so in a way that gets around that defensiveness and speaking not just to talk, but so that you can actually be heard. So why are people defensive? Well, people are very attached. We're very attached to our ideas. You know, I, I think for many... For a long time, I think people would identify, maybe in some areas of the world people still do, identify themselves with their material goods, right? Like, uh, hey, I have this fancy car, so that means I'm a whatever. And so, but then eventually you learn, well, if I lose that car, you're not less of a person. And so I think where we are probably consciously in the world, I think most people, many people really recognize they are not their possessions. But the fascinating thing is this, even though... Most people, most rational people will say that they still have more to learn in life. The moment you disagree with them or see the world differently, they become defensive. And I, and I really believe that's because they're attached. People are attached to what they believe. 
and they identify their ego as the center of who they are, when I would say that's that's not the core of who we are. So let me ask you this, because I, I absolutely agree with you that people are attached to what they believe. I also believe that we can use our possessions, like you gave the example of a car, as you know, crucial to our identity. Uh, I still remember with fondness my uh, Porsche 944S <laughs> that I used to drive. I got it as payment for a book I ghost wrote. And uh, when I when I had to give that car up because I was too old to get in and out of it comfortably, I became a lesser person. I mean, there's no question about it. I'm no longer a Porsche guy. I traded no in a for a Saturn. It was, it was devastating. It was absolutely devastating. But okay, putting my car issues aside, people are attached to their ideas because their ideas are the very stuff out of which they make their their sense of self, their, their personality, whether it's religious idea, political ideas, whatever their ideas are. If that's the case, and all these ideas are fundamentally made up, what is it like to be free from all that stuff? Yeah, that's a profound and beautiful question. I think a person who is in complete consciousness might be able to answer that a little more effectively than, than I would be able to. But I would say that I think the goal is to expand that consciousness. I, I think if we, I think a good model, especially in an audio recording for people to visualize, is an iceberg. The majority of that iceberg's beneath the water, and there's a small tip of that iceberg that's above the water. Well, what we would say is above the water is what's called consciousness, or just the things of which we're aware, and the things below the water are all the things we're not really aware of. And the funny thing about that analogy, the powerful thing about that analogy is the ego is kind of the center of that part, that, that tiny little tip of the iceberg that's above the water. But that's not even close to the center of who we are. The center of who we are is way down in the middle, somewhere deep in there. And so I think the ego, I mean, we, we really think that this is the way the world is. And we it's scary for people to think that there's more to life than what they know. It's extremely scary. And I, I, that's why I think we get really attached to what we believe. So do you think, like if you and I are having a conversation, and I don't mean like this one, we're really challenging one another's positions, so we're triggering maybe defensiveness. How surprised would I be about triggering something in you that I don't see on the surface? In other words, can we trigger the unconscious? Can we, can we run into the bottom end of the iceberg and find that the whole ship of friendship is suddenly, you know, with a gaping hole in it. Can we trip over people's lower unconscious uh, defenses or unconscious attachments? Most definitely. We definitely, we most definitely can. I think the world is kind of like a Rorschach test, a big projective test. And what we see in the outside world is really what's going on inside of us. And since we interact so frequently with others, there are bound to be moments and instances in which others trigger things that are hidden from our conscious selves, at least temporarily, till we really sit back and explore and try to figure out where it all came from. But absolutely, that stuff gets triggered in people. I mean, I was teaching about uh, projections the other day. You know, projections are, for those listeners out there who aren't familiar with that, it's kind of it's an ink blot test. They basically take an ink blot and, you know, you 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 make it perfectly symmetrical. So you're looking at an ambiguous, you know, bl blotch, a blob of ink, 
And then what you see in that ink is really what's inside of you. I mean, some people say, oh, this is a butterfly or whatever. It's what's inside of them. And that's what a projection is. Now, when we look at the world, that happens all the time. Someone says something and, and we pick up on the most minute aspect of what they're saying and we run with it. I'll give you an example. So Sounds True published this book, this uh, Walking Through Anger. And by the way, pleased to death. I, I absolutely love Sounds True and everybody there. Um, so they were posting something on their Facebook, a statement that I made. And the statement literally just said something to the effect of the degree to which you are attached to your beliefs and the degree to which others disagree with those beliefs, you, you know, that's what's probably going to lead to anger. And that's it. That's all the statement said. But the comments underneath were... Well, then I guess you're saying no one can ever be angry, or <laughs> I guess you're saying, what about in these cases over here? And it's incredible how people bring to the discussion what is inside of them. And when we shine light on that, I think we bring a tremendous sense of awareness to people. Yeah. Now, let me, let me ask you this. There's a, a guy named David Bohm. He's deceased. He was a physicist, a student of Einstein's, collaborated with Einstein. And also a friend of and conversation partner with uh, Jay Krishnamurti, who's one of the great, I would say, philosophers of our time. And David Bohm talks about how in dialogue, we ought to pay attention to our stomachs. And he says that, that you'll be talking with somebody and you find yourself viscerally reacting your your stomach tightens your breathe your 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 breathing becomes more rapid and it and you have no idea why that was triggered that you find yourself this is what he says when you listen to your stomach you find that you're often attached to ideas you didn't even know you had and dialogue becomes a way of discovering not only how to how to get around someone else's defenses or not trigger them in the first place, but how to recognize your own defensiveness and what may be triggering that. So it, it's really a, a two-way street. Agreed. I definitely, I, 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 I sincerely agree with that perspective. I, I think I can identify with that perspective. I have more than 20,000, I mean, I lost count, 20,000 plus hours of clinical counseling experience, you know, and I'm talking to individuals, you know, think about that. That's a lot of hours of sitting there talking to people. And so with all those hours, each one was intentional. Each one was, in, I'm intending to do what I can to be a mirror for others. And in order to be a mirror for others, you, you've really got to be reflective to understand what you're projecting and what's being triggered. Um, I agree with that. I think the more we interact with others, the more we can find those things that we weren't really aware of. And we thought, well, that's not a big deal. For instance, I love when I'm doing speeches, I speak all over the country and I'll say to people, how many people in the audience believe they still have more to learn? Every hands go up left and right. Everybody's hands. So then I say, how many people then get upset when people disagree with your politics or your religious beliefs and <laughs> all those hands go up? But I, if I'm to understand that you still believe you have more to learn, then why is it that we're angry when people disagree or challenge our perspectives? If we really believe we have more to learn, then what a beautiful, welcoming thing to have people challenge our perspectives and see the world differently. Well, that makes sense, except what we really have more to learn about is I have more to learn about how you are incorrect in your beliefs, <laughs> not, not how I'm incorrect. 20,000 hours of this kind of conversation. Do you ever, do you still find 
stuff in your in the lower part of your iceberg that surprises you about yourself? You know, all the time. I think I'm not. I don't know that. I, I think surprise probably be a stronger word for me. I'm not necessarily surprised, but there are things that I'll say, okay, cool. That's there. I kind of my philosophy is that the more I keep doing this, the more I keep learning, and so I'm even looking for the most the tiniest little things. I mean, the micro. Uh, emotions that get triggered in any one instance. And it's a, it's a self-reflection. That's why I believe my book, even though it's centered on anger, it truly is a book about personal growth. And it's really about how you can grow as an individual, because once you know yourself well enough, it's going to be a much easier to read what's going on with others. Okay. So let's go into this a little more deeply. There's a couple of things I, I really want to cover. The, the three core actions of yield theory, the seven fundamental components. But I I can't let this other piece go because it was absolutely new to me. You deal with the etymology of the words compassion and conflict. So I was aware of the etymology of compassion. The come part is together, shared, and passion is suffering. So when I have compassion for someone, I feel their suffering. I realize that we're, we're sharing the same suffering to some extent. But then you go into this notion of conflict. And conflict, you say, is shared, uh, and I don't know if I'm saying the Latin right, but figere. Well, figere. So figere is to strike and then yeah. on with, so to strike together. And what I've said is, is look, the moment we hear two strike together, we can certainly, well, also, first of all, if you really look up a quick uh, uh, view of it, you'll probably see, like on the internet, you'll say, uh, first thing might come up is a contest. Right. So that's me versus right. you. And if really you look a little deeper, that comes from Figari, which is to strike him together. But again, it's kind of really stays in line with the idea of conflict, especially if you think of sword fighting uh, or some sort of conflict like that. And I can't think of what to call when you're riding on a horse and you got that long spear jousting or a jousting contest, something like that. And so that's that's to strike together. But that's against each other. What I'm suggesting is the word itself doesn't say that we must strike at each other. It's saying we strike together. So what if we were to turn and put the conflict outside of ourselves and you and I together strike at the conflict? That's a different way to view conflict. Right. And that's what was so interesting. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. I, I remember a long time ago, I took mediation training at MIT and Harvard. And one of the things they taught us was instead of sitting across the table and dealing with conflict, that you should sit on the same side of the table and put the conflict on a whiteboard and strike together about whatever the issue was you're dealing with, yep. as opposed to turning it into, you know, us versus them. Exactly. And that really changes, not just from that, that program, but in, in your book, that really changes the way people deal with conflict, that we're in this together, trying to reach a new level of intimacy. 
I think that's a, a great way to phrase it. And, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Martin Buber well, I mean, instead of the uh, the us versus them, it, it really helps embrace them, the I and thou, like, here we are together. Right. This is an issue. Let's strike at this issue together. You know, I'll give you a real pragmatic example of what this looks like. I ran um, um, a center, I co-founded a center for people convicted of violent crimes in California. Now, after they commit a violent crime in California, you're sentenced to 52 weeks of anger management. Now, if you imagine how angry somebody is who has to come into anger management after they already spent time in prison or jail, you can imagine they're pretty angry. But what I saw is this, uh, you know, and then my rules were if this group started exactly on the hour and if you were one minute, one minute late, that counts as not being there that week. You can still stay for the group, but that counts as not being there. And you only have three unexcused absence on the fourth you're going back to prison or jail so you can imagine there were moments when guys came in just a couple minutes late and it's their fourth one and what that what that looked like in that interaction and one of the ways i kind of live out this understanding what conflict really means is i would not i'm a six foot 250 pound bald guy with a beard and tattoos i look like every other biker on a biker bar so it, it could really be something that's a high conflict but instead what i would do is i would turn my shoulders put my eyes down. I'm not trying, this isn't about ego. This isn't about being right or wrong. This is simply about awareness. And I would say to you guys, so it sounds like you're really probably upset with yourself that you happen to, you know, not be able to make it on time this week. Um, I never took it personally. Guys would say to me, man, I'm sorry I let you down, doc. And I'd say, you didn't let me down. Uh, I'll be here for you. I'll visit you when you're in County and then I'll, I'll take you right back on when you get out. But I would physically turn so that whoever was coming in, that I'm facing the ground, kind of looking at the ground as though there's our problem over there. It's not between the two of us or have anything to do with the ego. So yeah. that's a physical example of how I would kind of live that out. So let's talk about some of the other core or the, or the three core actions of yield theory. Listen, validate and explore options seems to follow directly from what you've been talking about. Exactly. And, and you know, and so that's it. So I, I, I tell people all the time, it's easy to be skeptical of other people. It's easy to be skeptical of those with whom you disagree. But how often are we actually skeptical of our own egos and our own ideas? So again, I practice what I teach. And I sat back and I was really reflecting and saying, what do I do? I mean, what do I really do? I sit in a chair and I talk to people. If they change their behavior after that or they don't, that's on them, not me. So I sit in a chair. What is it I do? Or maybe I stand at a cell door. And I thought I'd do three things. I listen, I validate, and I explore options. And that's it. And so, you know, I was talking about this kind of funny story, but I was talking about this to about 500 mental health specialists a few years back. And a woman came up to me at the break and she was real condescending and she was like, uh, that's it, that's your big theory, three things. And I said, yeah, but if you think about it, all Bruce Lee ever did was move, block, and hit. He did pretty well for himself. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if we're reducing everything to its essence, Michael Jordan just shot the basketball, but he did pretty well. So uh, yes, it is just three things. However, those three things done intentionally well can really transform a situation and a moment. So it's it's not just, and I just did a yield theory training. I've been doing them in a state uh, for our Department of Corrections in Pennsylvania. I'm training the whole state in this. And what we had some people come in and, they, you know, at first it's like, well, I already listen. I get that, but here's what I'm saying. I know you listen and you know how to, you know how to listen, you know how to validate, you know how to explore options. But think about this, let's bring it to martial arts. If someone said to you, here's all it takes to fight, you, you punch, 
and you move and you block and that's it. That's all you need to do. You hit, you move, you block. Well, okay, but does that mean you're proficient in it now just because you understand this? So when I say listen, validate, explore options, I challenge people that the moment your mind says, I already do that, you're already a step behind because that's saying that you're already leading with ego to try to prove what you know versus stepping back and genuinely listening. And so I have a really in-depth way to look at listening, validating, and exploring options. And I really believe that the listening one, I'm real proud to get this out there, but it's it's the, it's the box mentality. And it is, I think it's transformative. Well, it's like what you said a minute ago, that people, they might say that they have more to learn, but no, this I know. I mean, listening, how hard is that? I'm listening to you now. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about, about validate. You're validating what? Well, so when I say validate, I think for anyone who's new to encountering that word just listening out there, the word validate does not mean you're going to condone what other people are doing. It doesn't even mean you're going to agree with them. What validation means is you're acknowledging what a person is communicating to you. You're not saying, oh, I completely understand because I don't think we can ever completely understand others. I think it's really invalidating to tell people, well, I know exactly what you're going through because we don't, but that's our ego that wants to be known. What validation is doing is saying, I want to look real. This might make neuro, neuroscientists out there cringe, but I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging the brain is much more complex than this. But in general, higher level thinking tends to be in the frontal cortex, front part of your brain. And your fight or flight response, your emotions tend to be in the middle part of your brain. And here's like the most basic way I teach this. When people are emotional, they're in that middle part of their brain. And when you validate them, you get a chance to let all that stuff out. Almost like if it was filled with, pretend it was filled with water, you're draining that whole limbic system. Because once that emotional system is free, frees up space, now the energy can move more toward that frontal cortex and we can get into more effective decision-making. So that's what I mean. That's what you mean. Don't just validate until you think you validated to check a box, but validate until you truly, what I call drain the limbic system. Right. Which then allows you to explore options and, right. and it's options to deal with anger. Is that what we're talking about? Well, so, but here's the deal with, when it comes to exploring options, the idea isn't to say, okay, I'm going to tell you what your choices are. It's going, I'm trying to see the world through your eyes. I'm trying to put myself in your eyes and say, what options, what options exist? And the, the way I call it exploring options is because I might highlight some things that are evident for you, but then I can also probably throw in some ideas that you're not currently seeing if you're highly emotional and I'm going to be objective coming into the situation. So, yeah, it's about really saying, where can we go? Here's the other piece about exploring options that's very powerful. And this is a piece that takes a lot of personal growth. We know intellectually that the past is gone and we can't get one second of it back. We understand intellectually that the future has not yet been written. But what do we have? The present moment. And so exploring options is all about saying, what realistically can we do from can you do from this moment forward and if that means the the poor idea that you're thinking about well let's at least let's at least explore that together to find out if your future self would really be happy with you choosing that and once i don't have people resisting because i'm able to explore what was ever on their mind anyway well then now i can start to explore some other ideas okay that's one idea what else could you do right once the validation piece I mean, if I heard you right, listening was the core here, but it seems to me validation is a close second that once you've, you've achieved the validation piece, meaning you've let the person's 
the person drain all of that energy out of the middle brain so they can see more clearly, then they'll see more options, I would imagine. Exactly, exactly. Again, it comes back to the idea. So I loved in the Divine Comedy where, you know, Dante goes through hell and purgatory with uh, Virgil as a guide. And, you know, Virgil, in, it really in the Divine Comedy, kind of goes through and so he doesn't say, don't go visit these people, don't look at that. He says, this is what's going on. If you choose to go over here, this is what you can expect. And I really kind of always looked at that as what I do with people. I, I'm kind of just saying, hey, listen, whether that that rock is wet. If you choose to step on it, there's a chance you could slip. You might not, but there's a chance you could slip. What you choose to do now is up to you. Uh, my job is to be a mirror for you, for your psyche, and then shine light on the things that you might have difficulty seeing in the moment. So we're coming up against the end of the show. I have to ask you a very practical question. So we're taping this a couple of weeks before Christmas. And if I were to imagine, you know, a time for anger, I mean, Thanksgiving is one, you get together with the family and, you know, everyone, their emotions are oftentimes not validated. Their, their worldview isn't validated. They're swimming in the midbrain there. Right. Can you give our listeners one thing that they might be able to, to use? Maybe when their relatives come in, should they look at the ground and shift their shoulders? No, you know, or- <laughs> I, I do have something for that. So I, look, I, I have a tagline. I say that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who have issues and dead people. So if you're currently alive, you have issues. So do I, so does everyone. And just the way I say there are two kinds of people, I say there are two worlds we live in. There's one world is what I call the cartoon world. This is our world of shoulds. My family should be asking me all about what I did this year. My family should be really interested in me. And then you have the real world, which is how the world actually is. Maybe your family's talking about themselves. Maybe they're not even interested in what you're doing. As long as you align your expectations with that cartoon world, you're going to be let down. But when you can learn to align your expectations with reality, understand that your family, they're human as well, and they're going through their own stuff, their own issues. And if you know, for instance, that Uncle Tommy is going to bring up politics, then align your expectations with that reality. Try not to beat yourself up and keep yourself in the cartoon world going, he shouldn't do this. Because the reality, that's not reality. Reality is he's going to do that. So instead, let's align our expectations with that reality. Then we can be more prepared for it. But here probably is the most powerful piece of holiday advice I have for people. And that's this. It is not your job to change how your family feels or thinks. It's not. Like as a person who has sat with thousands upon thousands of people all over the world, like I said, more than 20,000 times doing this clinically, that's just clinically. Um, I don't change anyone. I don't change anyone. All I do is I listen, I validate, explore options. What people choose to do with that, well, that's all on them. So I'm not saying that we don't have an impact on each other, but I am saying that we don't actually make the mind change for others. And so in that way, try not to go thinking you have to change your family's minds. Instead, what if you could love them for who they actually are? I think that'd be a pretty peaceful holiday solution. Well, that's a perfect way to end the conversation. Our guest today, Dr. Christian Conte, is the author of Walking Through Anger, A New Design for Confronting Conflict in an Emotionally Charged World. An interview with Dr. Conte is in the November-December issue of Spirituality Health Magazine, and you can learn more about his work at drchristianconte.com. Christian, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you so much for having me. 
Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. If you like Essential Conversations, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow me on Spirituality and Health's website, where I now write a regular column called Roadside Musings, and on my new podcast, Conversations on the Egg. And don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Catherine Drury-Wagner. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.